it's much better to be present in your practice. Focus on what you need to do to improve your races and practice those in warm-up. Practice those in every drill set. Practice those when you are just dying in practice. Uh, that's how you're going to improve. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters World and National Swimming Records, and Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, where I am so excited today that we'll be talking with the legendary Natalie Coughlin, a professional swimmer for the pro swim team, the DC Trident, one of the most decorated Olympic swimmers in history with 12 Olympic medals, while making three Olympic teams. Natalie was also a multiple-time NCAA champion and swimmer of the year. She won 12 world titles and broke multiple world records. She's the author of Golden Girl, How Natalie Coughlin Fought Back, Challenged Conventional Wisdom, and Became America's Olympic Champion. But before we get to the interview with Natalie, I want to say hello to my co-host, Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hello, Kelly. Yes, I'm really excited to discuss Natalie's interview. In fact, I, I just bought her fantastic cookbook called Cook to Thrive, which has absolutely gorgeous photos, and I'm really excited to try the recipes. And I learned that she's, besides being a swimming champion, Natalie is a vintner and co-founder of Guderian Wines. She's an urban farmer, and she's a mother of beautiful one-year-old Zenny. She surfs. She's a photographer, and I can go on and on. But let's get to Natalie's interview. And now it's time for the road trip segment. Natalie, welcome to Champions Mojo. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're really excited. And I've got to start off with the fact that as a fellow swimmer, I love that you never announced you were going to retire. Yeah. Like, I just love that. Like everybody retires and it's kind of a sad thing, but you really made a point to say, I'm not retiring. Yeah, I, I didn't want to come out after the 2016 trials and say I'm announcing my retirement for several reasons because I love swimming. And although, yes, I don't see myself going to another trials and trying to make another run in an Olympic team, I wanted to compete uh, and I wanted to leave that door open. So when you announce your retirement, what that means is you sign these papers and you pull yourself out of the drug testing pool. And if you want to ever compete again, you have to wait nine months um, and you have to start uh, drug testing again. And then you have, there's this nine month waiting period before you could start competing. So I didn't want to have that hanging over my head if I wanted to start competing again. When I said I wasn't going to retire, it was very thoughtfully and in my mind, I was going to continue going to the competitions in Europe that I had previously. Um, specifically, I would go to Genova and Bolzano in Italy every fall, and I loved those meets so much. Uh, and then the ISL came about, and it was kind of the perfect opportunity for me to swim again. I knew a little bit about ISL, um, but I 
didn't think I was going to participate in any way, shape, or form. And then Caitlin Sandino, who's a good friend of mine from previous national teams, she's the GM of DC Trident, she asked me to be a part of her team, and I said no at first. And then three days later, I said yes. (laughs) Uh, And I was really excited that I did. And um, it's been really fun to see exactly what the ISL is and to see what they've achieved in such a small amount of time and to understand the potential of what it could be for the future. Absolutely. It's so exciting for us swim fans. So so backing up a little on you took a three year break. Yeah, Did three you, plus, yeah. So three years from hard training or just th- three years of you dead you dabbled a couple times a no. week or totally <laughs> totally out of the water? Completely out of the water, uh, more or less. My goal after uh if, if I don't have a competition looming looming overhead, I won't be consistent with swimming. Just because it's it's at the time, so after 2016, I didn't really have a pool to swim in. Like I had Cal, yeah. but other than that, unless I wanted to swim with uh, the college team at Cal, I really didn't have a place to go. Um, and I really love running and I love being outside. So I hiked and ran quite a bit. And I bought a 10 pass uh, for one of the local pools. And my goal was to swim once a week. And I refilled that pass once. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) In three years. In three years. So I swam uh, conservatively probably a dozen times uh, since Rio (laughs) or since like the, the trials leading up to Rio. So not, not too much. (laughs) Well, so in the world of swimming, you are 37, which is, could be considered to be a little older than most, you know, there's no delicate way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a lot older than most people. And you're on this podcast with two adult women athletes. You're doing the ISL this year. You're Mm -hmm. 37 years old. Mm -hmm. You, do you have any goals to just kind of push the envelope and see what you can do? No, not really. Um, I wanted to be a part of this one just because I wanted to see what it was all about. And I think the best way to do that is immerse yourself in the actual, in the actual event and, and, um, be a part of it. And for me, I just wanted to have a goal to get back in shape after having a baby. Like I said, I'm not someone that unless I have a competition, I don't train for, for swimming like I did before. It's, I've done it for so long that unless I have a competition, if I get in, it's just to stretch out and float around. Um, and that's it. Um, I've filled that desire to compete and train in swimming. Like I don't, I don't feel like I, um, left anything on the table, but that being said, you know, I opened up this Pandora's box of doing ISL and it was so fun. And I wish I had a lot more time to train for it than I did because I have my business, Gadarian Wines. I um, have a few other ventures at home. I have my daughter that I take care of full time. Um, and I'm also on the board of USA Swimming. Uh, and so there's there's a lot that I do that when I was still training full-time, training for, to make an Olympic team, training to win gold medals that I didn't have the time for. And now I'm making the time for those other things. 
Yes, you certainly have a wide range of interests and skills and talents. So any chance you would ever do master swimming? I don't know. I, I would, I'm never going to say, no, I'm not going to do master's swimming because you never know. I'm, I might. At this stage, probably not. Um, but but talk to me in 10 years. Who knows? Right. I, I love <laughs> that you keep the door open on things. I think that sounds like one of the traits of a champion. And that's one of the things we talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, we... we we don't do hardcore X's and O's of swimming like, you know, do you triple kick off the wall on your backstroke? Yes. Triple dolphin. Um, but uh, what would you say are some routines or rituals that have made you successful? Like here, we, you know, we had a, a time to meet for the podcast and you are right on time. You didn't keep me waiting one minute. So like, what are some of the things? Uh One of the things that I've done since I was a teenager and can drive myself, I am someone who I do not like to be rushed ever. I don't do not like to be rushed. So if practice starts at 6am, I will be the first person there. And it's because I need time. Like I need buffer time to just sit there and drink my coffee and listen to my podcast and get my stretches in and just relax. I would rather take 20 minutes, 30 minutes less sleep and get there early and, and relax than rush, put my cap on, get right in. I cannot do that. It stresses me out and it sets me up for an awful day. So you like that in pretty much everything? <laughs> in everything that I do. I do not like to be rushed. <laughs> Anything else? Like any? And for when it comes athletically? Um, or been... non-athletically specifically? Well, non-athletically, any rituals. I'm, I'm someone who is not technically OCD, but I do find myself counting things all the time. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. I'll just like how, how many times I wash my hands. It's not like I have to wash my hands, you know, for 10 seconds, but I just find myself counting. And I, I think that comes back from swimming <laughs> and... I would count every kick off the wall, every stroke in the pool, uh, and I would be able to do that without much conscious thought that I was counting. And so I think that has seeped into the rest of my life. I'll find myself counting things that I do, but it's not like I think the world's going to end if I don't hit a certain number. Okay, <laughs> but I do count almost everything that I do. <laughs> I can so relate to that. It's yes. Very so um, one of the things that I found in researching you, which isn't you don't have to go very deep to find that you're very competitive. Yes, so, very competitive. So um, Maria and I talk a lot about how does one make their child competitive? So she's got four kids mm-hmm. and she said, you know, she called me. This is before she was really an athlete. And she's like, Kelly, you're so competitive. I want my daughter X. You know, she's got two daughters and two mm-hmm. sons to be more competitive. How do I make her competitive? So what is your, what are your thoughts on being competitive, how it served you, how it got there? And is it something we can, we can develop? I am not sure. I, I look at the difference of my sister and me, and I was always very, very competitive and I can't remember a time where I wasn't. So I think I just, that was in my DNA. Like I just have a story from like your first, like wow, I wanted to win that. Like, yeah, I always was competitive. It, it, like if I look at home videos from when I was in dance class at like four oh, or five, um, I was terrible at dance, which is why I didn't become a dancer. Um, but, but wait, I would no, wait, you're on dancing with the stars. Yeah. But that was different. And you did a great job. Yeah. I was <laughs> athletic at that point when I was four, oh, I was chubby and uh, uncoordinated. Uh, <laughs> 
It's so hard to believe that, Natalie, but go ahead. Right. I'm I was very stubborn and I would look to the person to my you know, left and we we're supposed to do one turn and she would do it beautifully and I would just barrel through three just because I felt like I should just do more than her. Um, I, but something that I, I really, it stands out in my own mind, my middle school, elementary school, I went to Catholic school, so it was the same K through 8th. Um, everyone was really into soccer. And so we'd play a lot of soccer during, uh, PE and I wasn't good at it and I didn't like not being good at it. So after school, I got a soccer ball and I'd be at my nanny or babysitter's house, whatever you would call it. Um, this older couple watched me cause both my parents had full-time jobs. So I would go into their backyard and I would practice the soccer skills against the back of their house. Uh, on my own until I had good ball skills and until I was really good at soccer. (laughs) And so I like taught myself because I hated not being good at it. And so that is just a pretty good example of how I was. I didn't like to not be good at things. And so I would figure out and work out a way to be good at it. Therefore competitive. (laughs) And then I look at my sister and my sister had the same athletic skills that I had. Um, she was, uh, very, very good as a swimmer, but I don't think she had the same competitive fire that I did. She didn't have the, the need to beat the people next to her. Like I did. (laughs) So uh, would you like your daughter to be competitive? Um, I think being competitive serves you very well, but it's, it's a struggle at times, you know, um, it's definitely a struggle at times, uh, because you have to, one, be a good teammate. <laughs> and sometimes uh, you have to balance that competitive fire with sometimes socially in, in situations, it might not serve you well. It like, I, I just look back to team build, building activities. And if you're a psychotic competitor, when you're playing ultimate Frisbee, <laughs> <laughs> You have to learn to tone it down sometimes. Um, And I learned that as I got older, you have to tone it down when it's not socially appropriate. Yes. That's a great, great piece of advice. I grew up with three brothers and no sisters. So I was just trying to keep up. When I I could beat my brothers, we lived on a lake to swim. That was how I got to swimming. Like I could beat my brothers across the lake. That was one thing I could do to beat them. Yes. So it's, yeah, that's, that's cool. So, um, so you're talking about team building activities, which I know is a great thing that Cal Berkeley does. Mm-hmm. You swam at Cal Berkeley yeah. for one of my hero coaches, Terry McKeever. Mm-hmm. I just love yeah. Terry. Yeah. And you have kind of been a another you're pioneering so many areas that, you know, we we love to talk with pioneering women and especially because Marie and I are women, but we love our men too. And we have we have more men on our podcast than women, so it's great to have a, a woman. But you're now on a team that is in the ISL, the International mm-hmm. Swim League, where you have a woman owner, a woman head coach, women assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. You swam for a woman at Cal Berkeley, which is really rare now that Cindy Gallagher has retired at UCLA. I'm, you know, I'm a former Division One head coach myself from back in the '90s, but mm-hmm. even back in the '90s, there were more women coaches then. Mm-hmm. Now, in the top 25, there are only two women head coaches. Right. And that's Carol Capitani right. at Texas and, and Terry, Terry at, mm-hmm. at Cal Berkeley. So how, um, what are your thoughts on maybe where the women are in swimming? It's, it's a very complex, very, uh, 
difficult task uh, to, to, re- to really figure out why there aren't that many uh, female coaches at the upper, upper, upper levels. Um, if you go down into USA Swimming, if you go overall of female coaches, men to women, women are actually, there are more, I think it's like 51, 52% women. Um, but then once you get to those upper levels, uh, it tends to be men. Uh, I am married to a club coach. And so I know those are hard hours. It, those are really hard hours and time away from your family. And, uh, not only in the early morning and, and late evenings, but also on the weekends. And I think it's, it's a really, it's a difficult thing. I mean, you know, you were a yes. division one coach. Yeah. It's a, and it's I didn't a, it's choose a, to have kids because it, for 10 years I was division one and it was just a lot of hours. Right. And it's, yeah. and it's tough to say that men make that decision and women don't, but it, there's, there is something different in, in women and men. Like we, we can't deny that. Yes. Um, yes. And, uh, I, I think there needs to be more support for all coaches, not just females, but men as well for them to have their families and to find a way to balance that. And, and that's one thing that's so great with having Lin- Lindsay Mantenko, uh, where she is in USA Swimming, is she has that perspective of being a female, being a mom of two, yes. um, being a former athlete and Olympian, um, and being on the executive role, that that has been, been um, a priority of hers to fit family in, to fit coaches' wellness, just overall wellness. Um, yes into like mental health and physical health. And, um, part of that mental health side is, is fitting in family. Uh, and I know that's been a big part of it. Um, she wants to allow like Dave Durden and Greg Meehan bring their families to Tokyo next year. And that's huge. We want our Olympic coaches to have their families, but also be, um, we want them to be so well. And so, uh, fulfilled that they are great coaches as well. You don't want them to be torn in any way. Yes. I think that's a great answer, Natalie. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, one of the things we interview the the high level swimmers like you and high level coaches, we've interviewed Ray Luz from Indiana, Mm -hmm. Braden Holloway from NC state, Arthur Albiero from Louisville, some of the top, top coaches Mm -hmm. and and coaching combined programs. And one of the commonalities that they had, and, and they talked about their families was they just don't get the time with their families. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it, they, they've all said at the end of the day, toughest thing they've ever done. Yeah. Toughest thing they've ever done. Yeah. So is there something you've observed in swimming for these women mm-hmm. and, and, you know, observing women that are in these executive positions and mm-hmm. high level positions that they're doing, that's allowing them to be successful and, and have a family and kind of have a life. Is there something they're doing that we could learn from? Well, it's hard to say, you know, it, like you said, if we're looking at it and it's Terry McKeever and Carol Capitani, Terry didn't get married until a later age in, in yeah. life. And really, I think, I don't think I'm speaking out of school in saying that she felt like she sacrificed that for a long time mm-hmm. and she found that balance later. Um, Carol, she, I believe she has kids, yes. um, and, and has her family, um, and it's, it's tough, but I know I've spoken with Maya Dorado, um, you know, Olympian and Stanford grad. And she was telling me that at Stanford, they have a lot of programs in place for, um, 
people with families. And I know that has been huge for both Greg and Tracy, the, the assistant coach at, at Stanford, um, that they're allowed to bring travel with their kids, for instance. Tracy, uh, I don't know how many years she's been at Stanford, but um, she's been pregnant twice, had two kids there, and has been able to bring her kids along to meets. You know, when you're, when I mean, I don't know, but if if you're breastfeeding and if yeah. you're, you have to be around your kid. Right. Um, it, it's that's a physical just demand that you can't. Yes, you could pump and store all the milk and then freeze it and then try and send that home. But that is... Oh, that's... Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> as someone who's done that, that is so hard. Yeah, <laughs> that is so yes. hard to do. Um, and so we need to make it easier for the women because physically they have to do a lot, um, a lot of that. But uh, I, I think it's important to give the same family familial support and paternal and maternal leave um, for both you know, both genders. Right. Yeah. Both genders. I love that. Yeah. Just both genders after talking with these men and seeing mm -hmm. how hard they're working, just more support systems, more wellness, more. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Cause our sport is really hard, whether you're a swimmer or a coach. And it's it is. Just... And, and, and we, yes, it would be nice to be able to work out earlier in the day, but then you have school. So you have right. to work around kids school schedules and by nature of this sport, you do need to do doubles. I, I really don't, I don't know if, doing single practices at that developmental age is the best way to be successful. Um, you know, you do have to have, this is a tough sport. It's not for everybody. Right, right. It, it yeah. really is. It is. It's not. <laughs> so wonderful. Well, thanks. That's great. I, I hope um, we can, you know, people can hear this and, and the changes are evidently underway. That sounds great. So mm -hmm. you made your first senior national final at 13. I did. That's, which is amazing. And, now still swimming at 37, mm -hmm. but you won your first Olympic medal at 21, yes. right? So right before my 22nd birthday. Yes. Yeah, so right, mm -hmm. you were 21 and you went through a really tough time. And I don't want to reiterate that because that, that story is out there. Yeah. And so yeah. I want to get some new stories. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, you had that terrible shoulder injury and things, you know, kind of went off the rails for you yeah. thinking, but then, you know, seven years later, yeah. you are an Olympic champion. What, yeah. what can you, what advice can you give or what mindset can you say that you had to get from being, having so much pressure mm -hmm. at 13 mm -hmm. to pushing through a shoulder injury that you thought was career ending mm -hmm. and then end up the Olympic champion? It's, it's tough because that seven year period feels like an eternity because you're a teenager. So time doesn't go as quickly as it does when you're in your twenties and thirties and then forties and fifties, you know, um, seven years now seems like a blink of an eye. Like I look at seven years ago, I was like, Oh shoot, that was 2012 London. Like that seems like it was last summer. <laughs> but when you're a kid, um, time just goes so slowly. And so you have to be so patient when you hit a plateau or you have an injury or you have a bad season. Um, the season to season difference seems like an eternity. Um, but having gone through it and learned through all, all these things, every sort of setback is a learning opportunity. And I, I know I sound like I'm trying to be Tony Robbins when I say this, but it really is. If you have the right attitude and if you have the right mindset any setback could be a learning opportunity um, so if it's an injury you can look at it 
okay, how can I improve my stroke so that I don't get this injury? How can I take care of my body so that this doesn't, doesn't happen again? Um, how can, you know, if you ha hit that plateau, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. What am I doing? What can I improve? Is it in the pool? Is it my life outside the pool? Am I getting enough rest? Am I making the right choices outside of the pool? Um, Nutrition-wise, can I do better? There are always things that you could do to improve yourself. Um, and that's something that Terry McKeever said quite often was, you are training 24-7 whether you like it or not. And that's something that I don't think people realize. Just, just even your posture throughout the day, the way you walk to and from classes, the way you sit in, in your lectures at, at school, that affects your training. So if I love that. I yeah, love that. I know. And whenever I say that, people always sit really I high know, up in their seat. Here. Yeah. I know. Um, but uh, it does. You, you have uh, muscle memory in everything that you do. And so... Yes, you could do everything right in the pool, but if you're not doing everything right outside the pool, it's going to affect it. So if you are being brutally honest with yourself, there's always a way to, you could improve. There's yeah. always something you could find. Um, so any setback can be an opportunity for you to look at what can I improve. Were you cognizant enough at that point when you went from 13 to 21 of thinking, you know, this is a setback, but I'm going to get through it. Or what did you say to yourself at that point? At that point, like there was a lot going on, um, beyond just the injury, but ultimately the, the thing, the carrot that was dangled in front of me, uh, was a college scholarship. If I didn't have a college scholarship, something that would pay for school, I would have quit swimming at 15, 16 years old. I hated it. Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I was struggling physically and emotionally and mentally. And, um, it was, it was, it was really, really tough. Um, being a teenager is tough enough, but having all those pressures and, uh, and all that other stuff on top of it made it, made it miserable. But thankfully I, I knew that I was still good enough to earn a college scholarship to my choice of schools. Um, so I use that as the motivation to continue to do, to swim. <laughs> and if you told me at 15 that I'd still be competing at 37, I would have never believed you. <laughs> and it, and I love swimming and I love everything. Like I love the day daily struggle of swimming. And that's what I missed the, in those three years that I took off. I missed my teammates and I missed that daily struggle of having a common goal and working together. And, and honestly, I didn't, I wasn't able to fulfill that desire to have that again, just because it didn't fit into my schedule. I couldn't train with the college team at Cal anymore, um, with taking care of my kid and everything. Um, I completely trained by myself. <laughs> yeah. Having the college scholarship was what motivated me to keep swimming and, and ultimately, when I got to Cal, um, I was humbled enough to be open to different experiences and open to different ways of thinking of technique and different ways of training. And I had had such a bad year in 99 and 2000 that I was willing and ready for change. 
had I have qualified for 2000 Sydney Olympics, I think I would have come into college as a bit of a know-it-all and I would have been really stubborn and I don't think I would have been willing to make all those changes that I did that ultimately led, led me to the 12 medals. Yes. So, so in just, again, our ta- talk today and then following your career, it seems like some of the character traits, some of them that you've had that have helped you be a champion are obviously you're competitive, you're patient, um, you're hardworkingly meticulous with practicing your soccer and your, <laughs> yeah. you know, your, your perfect technique. What other um, traits do you think that champions in general mm-hmm. have? I think uh, being present and mindful uh, is, is a big thing. Um, I, I am very particular in paying attention to what I'm doing. Uh, and, and I think it's easy when you're a swimmer, when you're training five hours in the pool to start to daydream and to start doing things, um, in autopilot mode. That's easy. And, and that's a coping mechanism, especially when you're younger. Um, it's so much easier to get, or seemingly easier. It's so much seemingly easier to get through a long practice by daydreaming or singing a song in your head or thinking about, um, you know, what happened at school last, you know, yesterday or what's going to happen on the weekend. That seems like a good use of your time, but I promise you it's not. It's a total (laughs) waste of your time. Um, you're wasting your own time. You're wasting your coach's time. Um, (laughs) your parents time who drive you to and from practice. Um, it, 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 it's much better to be present in your practice, focus on what you need to do to improve your races and practice those in warm up. practice those in every drill set, practice those when you are just dying in practice. Uh, that's how you're going, going to improve. Uh, and I, I know this, like I hear, you know, my, my husband, like I said, he's a, a club coach and you hear swimmers say like, how are my underwaters going to improve? They're going to improve by you working on them off of every single wall, whether you feel like you have enough air or not, you will do eight kicks off of every wall. If it's warm up and you're tired, or if it's warm down, like you have to practice that. And it, there's no magic pill. There's no magic solution other than that 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. So I love the 10,000 hours. That, that is mindfulness and being present is so important in all aspects of life, and whatever you're yes. doing, cooking or right. photography or talking to your spouse or just right. And doing some, doing everything with purpose. Yes. Um, and it's, it's so easy. And I know this is, this is a fallback that you say like this day and age, people have their, their smartphones and their, you know, their earbuds in, and it is so easy to get distracted. Uh, you know, we uh, talk about that all the time. It's like a world of distraction, right? You look, you, and I'm guilty of this. Like, don't like, I am definitely guilty of this. And, but I try, I try to get better. Um, but you look around and you see everyone staring at their phones. If you're in an elevator, God forbid you don't look at your phone. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, where is it? I need to look at Twitter, Instagram, or just not interact with the people next to me. You know, like people are constantly searching, searching for a distraction because it's uncomfortable to be present sometimes. Um, So being comfortable with being present and being 
purposeful in everything that you do is a, is a really good practice that serves you well in life, but definitely serves you well in swimming. Okay. So we do have a speed round of questions. Okay. Just give me one answer. But before we go to that, is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners that I haven't directly asked you if you're interested in my wine yes this is the place you plug it Uh, yeah if you're interested in my wine it's Gadarian wines we produce out of St. Helena uh, in the Napa Valley it's all Napa Valley fruit we have Chenin Blanc Chardonnay Pinot Noir Rosé of Pinot Noir and we just added a Cabernet this year um and it's been a really fun project and we just started our wine club the gathering um and gadarian means to bring together or gather in old english so that's why um that's the name Uh, so we have our wine club and we ship to most states beautiful beautiful so um all right so i just i'm gonna say a few things this is the first little sections about swimming and you just give me one word okay that comes to mind like an adjective for this for this part of swimming Diving in the water. Cold. Cold. Technical suits. Tight. ISL. Fun. Fifth stroke. I am... No, underwater. (laughs) Underwater. I love it. Okay, so cat or dog? Dog, for sure. (laughs) Camping or hotel? Camping. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Dark. Kickboard or no kickboard? Kickboard. Mountains or beach? Mm, Oh, God. Lately, it's been mountains, but I love the beach, too. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Morning. Texting or talking? Texting. Okay. Awesome. Well, Natalie, (laughs) it's been so great. I know our listeners are going to love it. You're an inspiration, and we just wish you all the best. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Maria, what a great interview and so much to learn from this Olympic champion. What uh, what are your thoughts? Would have loved to have seen Natalie in real life. Just listening to your your conversation with her was really inspirational. Um, and then there was a lot of takeaways. But but one of the things that really stuck with me that she said was about uh, I think it was advice that one of her coaches gave her. Basically, she said that you have to be patient. Of course, you know that that setbacks setbacks are learning opportunities, but her coach told her that you're training 24 seven, whether you know you are or not. (laughs) So basically there's the time in the water and then there's the rest of the time. And she talked about posture. And I think, you know, when, when everybody hears that part of the interview, they're going to start sitting up straight and nutrition and sleep. So, you know, she says, if you're being honest with yourself, there are things you can do, you know, all of the time to make yourself better at whatever it is that you're doing. So I, 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 I thought that was a really excellent point. Um, what about, yeah. What about you, Kelly? Yes, I definitely, I sat up straight in that <laughs> interview too. when she said that and she <laughs> laughed and said, I think we, yeah. she said, everybody sits up straight. Um, yes. And just truly like, you just think of all the things that she's accomplished and that she must really stick to that that tenant of 24 mm-hmm. seven, you can mm-hmm. do things that make you better. So I, I did. I love that. And my first kind of overarching theme that I saw as her, maybe her number one trait that has helped her achieve such greatness is she said she was competitive. She is competitive. She said her competitiveness, you know, she had been competitive from a young age, from just 
practicing soccer over and over again. And she said it really um, was something that she attributes to her success. And I absolutely loved that she she owned it. She you know, recognized it. She was authentic that this is one of her character traits. And I think in society today, sometimes being competitive can be seen possibly as a a little bit of a negative trait. She did laugh and say that, (laughs) you know, I think she even used the word, you don't, you don't want to be psycho competitive. I loved her little story about doing three bad twirls for her, you know, in in dance class for her her friends, one perfect twirl. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, I'm gonna do gone three. Wrong. They're not gonna be good, but I'm gonna do them. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, so I I loved that. Um, you know, being competitive is definitely a trait of champions. And and you know, I ask her, do you think there's a way to um, develop competitiveness? And she said she. She didn't believe that competitiveness was something that could be developed, that it was that you were born with it. And and I would say that as a coach and someone who is very competitive, that I think for me, I think you can become a little bit more competitive, maybe not full blown, you know, right out of the, the womb being competitive. But I think if you really care about the outcome of something, that it just makes you want to do your best, which therefore makes you more competitive. I, I agree with that. I think I think a lot of this is sort of sibling stuff too. You know how, where you are in the family, but I agree with what you said about developing. I used to be sort of afraid of my competitive nature, and I would stuff it down. But now, you know, I, I allow it to come up. So I, I think I think you're right. I think you I think it is genetics, but I think you can also develop it. Yes, yes, and a little a little precursor to the Bob Bowman interview, which we have coming up, and everybody who knows swimming knows Bob Bowman is the famous coach of Michael Phelps says that being competitive means striving together. So I think that's another way to kind of develop competitiveness. So yeah, I, I just, I loved that. And I love that she, you know, she owned it, recognized it and, and was, you know, knows that that's part of her success. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, that part of that is competitiveness is sort of, um, I think often, admired in men and and we um as women can tend to maybe we're afraid of it maybe it's not as admired in us so i liked that about her too because she is gorgeous she's feminine and many many you know very feminine yet she's she's a she's a very competitive and she's taken her competition past swimming into many other things she's a super successful you know written two books and she's an entrepreneur so i like that about her too i like that she says i'm competitive and she always has and and i like that about myself so i agree with that maria that is a great point too that often you know that is a it's probably a positive trait in men and maybe seen not as a positive trait in women so yeah the fact that that natalie is certainly quite uh quite the woman to be competitive yes love it great great point yeah so um and one of yeah what's your second one yeah, my second one is, and I just wanted to add to that one of the things she said that that I've that's really stuck in my mind. She said that when she quit swimming, she missed the daily struggle. <laughs> I love that, like the daily struggle of going in and swimming hard. She missed that. So I mean, I think thinking of the daily struggle as something positive is, you know, on the competitive side of it. That's, that's, you know, the struggle is part of it. So anyway, yes. but, but the second, but the second thing that I, that I, I thought she made some really excellent points about, um, 
and we're going to talk about this more and we've talked about it in the past, but I don't know if you can talk about it enough as mindfulness. Um, she, she used several examples. One was, you know, if you're, if you're doing workouts in the pool and you're, you know, thinking about something else and just getting through them, you're not, you're not doing, you're not giving the workout the best that you can. If you're in the workout and you're thinking about what it is that you're doing and how you can improve, then, you know, that, then, then, then you're, you're, you're on your way to your 10,000 hours rather than just enduring it. And she, she gave another example, um, about, you know, people being in the, in the elevator, you know, and she said, you know, as soon as we're in the elevator, of course we pull out our cell phones and instead of just being in the elevator. And, and, and I like what she said, her quote was, people are constantly searching for a distraction because it's uncomfortable to be present sometimes. And I think that's really a good point. Cause why do we look for a distraction? Why do we watch TV? Why do we look at our cell phones? Why do we eat something or whatever? It's because whatever, you know, whatever, place we're in at that moment, there's something uncomfortable about it. We don't look for distraction when we're happy or joyful. So, um, I think it's good to be, a, to be aware of what you're doing, what you're thinking about, why you're doing it and what, you know, what, what might be uncomfortable that you're trying to get away from. So I, I loved her, her discussion of, of, of mindfulness. Yes, yes, definitely huge. And in whatever we're doing, whether it's um, swimming or, or training for something or even working, you know, within uh, your job, you know, just being present with what you're doing instead of being distract, distracted by the pings on your cell phone. And they say that mm-hmm. that mindfulness is the next big thing in productivity that we've got to mm-hmm. be we've got to be mindful of, you know, what we're doing. So wonderful mm-hmm. that yeah mm-hmm. that one you can tell and natalie's very zen i mean i think she she's she's really got um she's got herself together there on you know i can just see her cooking and being mindful of the flavors and the foods and i, I you know i just mm-hmm. see her as, as having uh wisdom beyond her years so mm-hmm. um she seems to really enjoy her life which is it's a great example for for you know, life beyond being an Olympic gold medalist, you know, she, she shot right to the top, but now she's going on and being successful in other things and living what seems to be a very full and rich life. Definitely. My second takeaway, which I opened the interview with was that she keeps her options open. So um, (laughs) I just, I love that when she, when most, you know, she's 37 years old and most swimmers, generally retire, you know, a little bit after college, or maybe if there's an Olympic year, a couple of years after college, they may go for that Olympic, you know, four-year addition. But for her to keep swimming, you know, when it was time, typical time for her to retire or a swimmer to retire, she said, deliberately said, no, I am not retiring. Like she mm-hmm. wouldn't, she never would say that she retired. And I loved that she kept, you know, her options um, open. And yeah. even even with master swimming, I asked her, you know, hey, do you, yeah. you, know, do you think yeah, you you'll pin her down. ever be a master? <laughs> she said, um, you know, I'm never going to say no. That's her exact words. I am never going to say no. So yeah. I, I think that's just very, it's, it's just very freeing to leave your yeah. options open. And you and I laughed a little bit that, you know, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. Um, and that's not a huge one. So I'm going to add a quick little third one, which just is, is 
so that one is exactly like me, and this one is the exact opposite of me. She loves to get places early, and she cannot mm. stand to be rushed. So I, I think that yeah. is... Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, I love that about her. Yeah, it's truly... I think that's a quality of a champion that they, you know, they show up early, you know, and I've always had a little little trouble with... I can show up right on time, but I'm never going to be early. I'm just never going to be... I'm the same the, way. Yeah, never I'm the early. same way, but... One of my children is that way. She hates to be rushed, so she will make enough buffer in her life, buffer in her life, so that she can get there on time. Yeah, I, I like that about her. And you know, one of the things she, Natalie, also said was that I think one of the reasons why she keeps her options open is she's like she knows that in order to be in swimming shape, she's going to have to have a competition. She's never going to be the kind of person who just goes and swims for fun. So she, you know, she's like, uh, you know, in some time to get into shape, she might just want to have a competition. So why, why retire? That's always out there for her. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I, I, you and I work out perfectly, Maria, because when we say we're going to meet at two o'clock, it's like <laughs> it's two like or two one or and we're, we're like <laughs> yeah. both just get, just getting there. So I, I remember, yeah, so yeah. I swam for the, the great coach, Don Easterling at North Carolina state. And he's kind of like my husband in the Marines. So 15 minutes early is Late on time, like, and I was oh, late. <laughs> I, I remember when I first started swimming for him, I transferred into NC State and I was there the last two years of my college career. But I remember literally showing up at practice at like 10 till, and it'd be, You're late, Parker. And I, I was like, <laughs> I, It's 10 till. He's like, You're late, you're supposed to be here 15 minutes early. So that even that didn't stick. So I don't know, <laughs> but I love yeah, that about uh, Natalie. I, I do, yeah. I do love that. You know, that is one of her traits of a champion. So, well, I think it's that she knows herself well, too, which is probably the f- the most important trait of a champion. She knows what she needs. Yes, and she, you know. very, very authentic, a really, really yeah. authentic, beautiful person. So yeah. what yeah. a pleasure. What what great um, takeaways and just feel so fortunate to have gotten to sit down with Natalie and uh, and and spoke, you know, with her. So there is another one in the books, Maria. Okay, Kelly, it's great talking to you. I love you. We'll talk soon. I love you too, Maria. Thanks for being on this journey with me. This week's quote of the week comes to us from Natalie Coughlin. Being comfortable with being present and being purposeful in everything that you do is a really good practice that serves you well in life and definitely serves you well in swimming. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening, and please see below for a copy of the show notes for any links or important information that we've referenced here. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.